The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Marion, very much for reading that passage, that classic. I mean, this is about as classic as it gets in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, really, for uh, Christmas passages, right? Unto you a child is born, to us a son is given. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. We're going to get into this passage this morning as we are now in the fourth Sunday of Advent. Kids, if you're any of you kids who are still in the room, All four candles are lit. Uh, Grown-ups, too. All four candles are lit, which is awesome, right? We count that down, um, and here it is. Here we are. Well, we've been in this series, uh, A Weary World Rejoices, Advent and Isaiah, working our way through this, just and acknowledging the season that we're in is, is one that is just... Wearying, and I know that many of us are are tired. I think it's interesting since uh, since this series began um, right around Thanksgiving, a little bit before Thanksgiving, um, the the number of folks in our community here that have tested positive for COVID is is just starting to go up, and uh, and people are recovering, and that's good. Um, but uh, we're we're just in a, we're in a season here with this, aren't we? Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for the Lord's kindness to us and his faithfulness. Uh, many of you have been uh, praying for our family, uh, and uh, you, you know the loss that we've experienced. My mom is here this morning. She's back there with my wife and my, my kids. And uh, hi, Mom. It's good to see you. 
But if you, uh, many of you have been praying for, I know all of you have been praying for them, and so thank you so much for that. Um, I want to mention giving before we get into this uh, text. Um, just as I sent out an email to everybody this week, I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it, um, but uh, December is a significant month uh, in terms of giving in the life of, of our church and most churches. A lot of the giving comes in, and about 25% of the budget comes in um, of the contributions come in during the month of December. So, um, as so we you know we when we look at giving coming in for December, we look at it a little differently than we do the other months. And so, uh, just a reminder that if you're planning your year in giving, uh, and this is your home church, um, to consider uh, Christ Pres Cool Springs. All right, are any of you? This is a show of hands. Questions, and you're going to brag on yourself a little bit. Raise your hand if you think you are. A good gift giver. All right, we got some. We got some hands going. I appreciate the confidence. I really do. I really do. There's a few of you. I see some of you volunteering. Others uh, who are sitting next to you, because and then I see Styco over here. Like without a doubt, I am elite. I'm an elite gift giver. I am not. I'm not a good gift giver. I don't, I don't consider myself to be, um, I, I, maybe it's a combination of self-centeredness mixed with uh, a lack of inspiration, with a lack of knowing what's out there, with a lack of knowing what people actually might want. Um, but I don't think I'm a very good gift giver. But every once in a while, I stick the landing. Every once in a while, I just crush it. And nothing brings me more joy than watching somebody open a gift that I know they're going to love, which is probably very routine for Styco. Um, but it's, it's that experience, right? Of, because what's happening is my love for a person and this great gift come together in a moment and you get to see those two things come together and experience the joy of that uniting, right? I, I love to have that experience when, when the gift and the person that I love come together. It just delights me. It delights me. Because a gift that is obtained and then given with zealous love for both the gift and the recipient, is, is just a joyful experience. And when we look at the passage that we just read in Isaiah, it's a, it's a passage that is celebrating the gift of Jesus Christ. And it talks about how he is going to be a light for those walking in darkness. He's going to break the yoke of oppression. He's going to increase our joy. Because of him, all wars will cease and that he will be our wonderful counselor and our mighty God and our everlasting father and our prince of peace and of the increase of his government, there will be no end, right? You know the words. These are familiar, familiar language. And then at the end of all this, in verse 7, we see the heart of God toward us in these words. And this is really what I want to focus on today for us. We see these words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The giver of perfect gifts gives with zealous love. What does that mean for us? It means that you are dear to the heart of God. So as you're going into Christmas and maybe an extended break where maybe you get a chance to catch your breath. Maybe some of you don't. Uh, During this time, it's as busy as ever. But as as you're going into this week where we celebrate Christmas here at the end, you're dear to the heart of God, and he is zealous. He wants to give you good things. And, you know, we've been in this book of Isaiah for a while, and it's a book that is written to people whose situation is pretty broken. They're pretty desperate. In today's passage, we read about this powerful declaration of hope, all these things that are going to come and that are going to bless the people and that are going to set them free. And it can be hard, we've talked about this throughout the series, how it can be hard to hope when you just are concerned and, and uh, that you, you, you wouldn't be able to handle the disappointment of the thing that you're hoping and not happening. But what's happening here, and when we look at the promises of God in the book of Isaiah that are given to us, one of the things that we remember is that the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ is a hope that is rooted in and based in an historical event that has already taken place. So for the people of Isaiah, their hope is looking forward to this coming Messiah, but for us, in a very real sense, our hope involves a lot of looking back, looking back on God having given us a Messiah, having given us the Christ who lived in our place, who died in our place, who defeated the power of death on our behalf. And who is coming again? And so, of course, we do have future hope, but our hope really does rest in something that has already happened, an historical event, a historical fact. And as hard as it can be to see hope sometimes, Isaiah can see it, and he can see it in God, because what's done in the past is is done, but what is coming, God is saying, is a glorious reversal of all of these things that are so broken and have you so tied up in knots. Because remember, the people of Isaiah, they're in a chokehold right now, right? They're being carried off into exile. Rescue seems impossible. It's going to happen, but the rescue that's going to happen is going to happen, it's going to happen soon. And so Isaiah says, you feel like you've been walking in darkness, but the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it's not a metaphor, it's a reality, Right, that freedom and joy are going to be restored to the people of God as a deep darkness is lifted. It says in verse 3 that God multiplied the nation and increased its joy. It struck me this week as I was reading this passage that you don't hear many people talk about the aim of what they're doing, the goal of what they're after being to give other people joy. And yet here in the Old Testament, in a very broken situation, the Lord says he's going to restore, the nations are going to be multiplied and, in, and, and their joy is going to be increased. God is concerned about our joy. That matters to him. He is zealous for that with us. And so there's this great reversal of hope that he's working out. And it's not just restricted to Israel alone because it's going to be right for the nations, multiplied the nations. He's multiplying the nations. And so it's going to expand past 
Israel, and past Judah, all of these good things to where? Well, to us, to here, to this ballroom at the embassy suites in Tennessee, right? That the, the promises that he's making here are extending to where we are now, increasing and deepening joy the world over. Nations will rejoice together in the harvest and gladly divide the spoils together. And what is going to mark that reversal? What is going to cause so great a joy? The next three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, give us three reasons that, that give us three indications of what's going to happen when, when we receive this joy. The first in, in, in 9, 4 is a release from oppression. God is going to break the yoke of our burden, the staff on our shoulder, the rod of our oppressor. And so I ask you, what, what burdens you? Because the things that burden you, when your faith is in Christ, the things that burden you will not last. They will not last. You will be free. You will experience the relief of those burdens one day being completely gone. And the end of all war, in verse 5, every boot of every warrior and every blood-stained garment will be burned as fuel. So imagine a day, imagine a day when no one will ever fight again. Maybe you've already fought today, right? Imagine a day when no one will ever fight again, that peace will reign over all corners of creation, peace within and peace without. What are the wars that rage against you? What are the wars that rage within you? All will end. And then finally, there will be the birth of a perfect ruler. For to us, a child is born who will be a joy for the nations, uniting a fractured world under a perfect ruler. And then this language goes on to describe Jesus, the one whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas. And the language that's used here, it's used to refer to the perfect ruler that can't be anyone other than God himself. This is a description of a divine being, wonderful counselor who's perfect in his wisdom, Mighty God, he is God himself, he's nothing less than that. The everlasting father, which means the inheritance that's ours, is never going to be in jeopardy because our loving protector can't die. He's everlasting. There's nothing fragile about him. And then Prince of Peace, his rulings will always be just. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end with justice and righteousness forever soaring, soaringly beautiful things that are being said here about the redemption that would come because of the work of Christ who has been born to us. God enters into our brokenness and our chaos and he leads us through it. I think about a time 10 years ago or so when uh, the CMA Fest was in town and I decided to take the kids to CMA Fest down, downtown, um, not really knowing what I was getting myself into at the time, and the riverfront stage was free, and so we could go see concerts at the riverfront stage, and so I took them, and when we got there, it, there were just so many people, just throngs of people, that I told my kids, get on my six, 
which is, you know, get behind me, and we like a little human chain, right? And we're, I'm, we're holding hands to make it through the crowd so we don't lose anybody. And I think about that, and I think, you know, the, the, the reason for our joy at Christmas is that God sees our chaos. He sees the chaos of the world that we're in, the brokenness of it. He sees our need, and he goes before us, and he says, on my six, he says, follow me. He leads us through that brokenness and that chaos. And though his judgment upends things for us, when God says, I'm going to judge, he, he upends our empty rituals, he upends our pretending Sometimes his judgment leads us to places of desperation where things that we've been trying to build just crumble around us. The glorious reversal of what he's doing is coming and nothing can stop it. How can we be sure of that? The reason we can be sure of that is because of the end of verse seven, is that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The reason all of this will happen is because God really wants it to. All the promises of God toward you are not reluctant promises that he makes. It's not that we're really good bargainers, we're really good at, at negotiating with God and, and so he relents and grants us some good things. It's that God is zealous to give us good things. And if he's zealous to give us good things, there can only be one reason for that. And that is because the perfect gift giver has perfect gifts that he desires to give to people that he loves perfectly. You're dear to the heart of God. You're dear to the heart of God. And the redemption and the healing and the restoration that he promises is because he really wants to do it. He really wants to do it. He is zealously committed to bringing this to pass. It's his show. And so our hope then is not that circumstances will get better. Our hope is not that humanity will turn things around and we'll all start being more decent people to each other. That's not our hope either. I hope that happens, but that's not the believer's hope. The hope is that God will do that, that God will redeem, that God will restore, and that the reason he'll do it is because he wants to. It's because he likes that sort of thing, because he's zealous to accomplish this glorious reversal. What does God want to do? He wants to redeem. He wants to restore. What proof do we have of his zeal? What proof do we have that he really wants to do this? Well, we look at the gift. We look at the gift given. What is the gift given? His son, his only son, the son he loves, right? The proof that we have of his zeal is that a child has been born to us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He has given us this and nothing less. Jesus came to restore with perfect wisdom, forming an everlasting kingdom of eternal peace through his life and his death and his resurrection because he wants to because he delights in this, because he is zealous to do these things. And you and I were made for that. We were made for him. We were made for him before we were made for anything else. And we're called then as a response to that to follow him on a six as we navigate this life and as we look ahead to the life to come. It means that we have a calling as a church 
as, as followers of Jesus in this city. And it's something that we talk about a lot here as a church. We talk about that we're not just recipients of the gospel, that we're people who cooperate with God in his work on earth, that God is a God of means and that he delights, he's zealously happy to use his people to make himself known. We live in a city that is filled with people who are trying to figure out who they are and trying to figure out why they're here. And the gospel has an answer for that. And as a church, we are called. We're called to be people who reach for their hands and pull them into the chain of people following Christ. And though God doesn't need us for this, he's pleased to use us for this. Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world, but he also says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. In God's wisdom, he uses his people here on earth to be the first light that many people walking in darkness will see. And here's more good news. He is really zealous to work through us in that. It's not like he's saying, I really need you to go out and win some new souls, and I know it's going to be hard, and I hope you say the right thing. No. He says, I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to delight to work through you. You will be a city on a hill. You will be a light to the nations. You will be people who will bear witness to me, and people will come to know me because of that. Why? Because God is a God of means. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God is always doing exceedingly more than all that we ask or think. So even in those moments where we're trying to be faithful witnesses to Christ, to people, and we feel like we're just tripping all over ourselves, we can't get the words right, we don't really know what to say, we feel like we're just, we're just bad at this, to that God says, I do more than you realize through that kind of stuff. I do more than you know. The Father is zealous to give the world good gifts. And so he gives the gift of his son, and then he uses his people who believe in him and follow him to make that precious gift known. And he does that because he loves to do that. And he loves to do it through you. And the reason he loves to do it through you is because he really likes you. He really loves you. He delights in you. He's zealous to give you good gifts. And the proof that you have of that is the gift that he's already given, which is nothing less than the Son of God himself. So, I want to just wrap up here very briefly by just talking to you as a pastor on the eve of Christmas and just to tell you I'm thankful for you. Um, you know, we've, we've had a tough, tough year. Uh, everybody has. And the church has, we, we've, we've, we've been scattered, right? We've been a scattered people. We've had people who have not been able to be back in person, people who have been able to be back in person, but because of the space that we're in and wanting to be as safe as we possibly can, we, we've moved to two services. And so there's an element where we're just, we're, we've been scattered this year and I am grateful for you. 
I'm grateful for you who are watching. I'm grateful for you who are here in the room, for people who have been a part of this journey. Um, I know that this has been a lonely experience for a lot of pastors. And one of the things that pastors, I think, have experienced is the question of where are my people? Where are they? I don't know where they are, you know? And I've not had that experience um, because you have been a very responsive and engaged congregation, and I'm thankful for that. I pray for us because it's been tough. I pray for the adjustments that we've had to make, the things that we've had to do, uh, indignities we've had to suffer as a result of, of being in the season that we're in. But you're a tremendous gift to me. And I thank the Lord for you. I really do. I thank God for you. I thank you for the calling that he's put on my life. I thank you that this is the congregation, this is the church family that was with me when I lost my dad this year. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for you. And I pray that one of the things that you would just revel in during this Christmas season is how dear you are to the heart of God. He loves you. He loves you, and he delights in you, and he knows you, and he uses you, and he's leading us. I'm very optimistic for what the coming year will hold for us as a church, and I'm a little bit like a horse in the gate, you know, come on, let's go, let's go. We're starting to see um, vaccines being rolled out and frontline workers, you know, starting to get that and some even in our own congregation are in that category of people. And so I'm very hopeful, but uh, the Lord has been kind to us as a church. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the Lord, for the gift of his son, Jesus, who's the perfect gift from the perfect gift giver to people that he loves perfectly. And so let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for uh, this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have blessed us with um, a community uh, to walk alongside. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have uh, given us even things that, that we may be just sick of, like, like Zoom. <laughs> we still thank you for it uh, and for the ways that, that you have used your common grace to... Um, to facilitate ingenuity uh, so that we would have resources where we wouldn't be just completely severed off from each other, but we'd be able to see each other through, through devices uh, that we've got. Lord, uh, it's a gift. And so we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would uh, hasten the, um, the end of the pandemic season that we're in and that as you work according to your perfect timing, Lord, I pray that you would give us just a deep level of patience and confidence in you. And Lord, as we go into this Christmas week, would you remind us all that the reason Christ was born, that the reason you gave us the gift of your son was because you really do delight in redeeming and restoring, that your zeal for the glory of your name and the redemption of your people is why you didn't reluctantly give us your son, but you zealously gave us your son that we might be restored to you. And Lord, that's a beautiful thing. And so we thank you for that, Father, and we ask that you would continue to inhabit our time here together uh, as a church as we continue in our worship. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.